0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, hello and welcome back to Your Tables Ready. I'm your host, Carol Haydar. Right, I'm going to jump straight into it. Mother Clucker's chicken strips are some of the best fried chicken you can find in London. It's tea brined, buttermilk soaked, twice battered, full flavor freaking awesomeness that was completely born out of a New Orleans gal craving for some southern fried chicken and couldn't find anything that really made the cut. So purely for her own consumption, she rolled up her sleeves and started experimenting in the kitchen. This was in 2012 before the fried chicken craze happened. Her recipe was so tasty that her friend and now business partner, Ross Kernow, convinced her to start selling it. They soon found themselves moving further away from the music industry and selling fried chicken out of an ex-U.S. military ambulance. You will have seen these guys in curb markets, Street Feast, Flatiron Square, Spitafields, and various festivals. In 2018, they actually opened up their first permanent store in Exmouth Market. Interestingly, Brittany talks about how they found running permanent stalls and restaurants more financially viable than trucks. I found this super fascinating because I would have initially thought it was the other way around with the overheads of a permanent location like a bricks and mortar. This episode is particularly interesting for anyone looking to start their own street market stall. Brittany is a fried chicken cowboy. I really enjoyed talking to her, it was kind of reminiscent of my chat with James Elliott from Pizza Pilgrims. Alright, without further ado, here's Brittany Bean. How have things been with you guys through the lockdown? I saw you were teasing doing some DIY Yes, tips.
1: Yeah. So it's been interesting. Uh, we, uh, we're pretty much closed apart from we have one delivery unit that's open, which we do like with delivery. So it's just a delivery kitchen. So that's been open the whole time, which is great because it means that, you know, we still have some, some of our team are still in on regular kind of wages. And we've been able to actually kind of, you know, order things from our suppliers and like, you know, be a part of the whole ecosystem and economy that comes around restaurants. It isn't just about, you know, the food that we sell to someone. And that's why it's like, it's pretty cool that we are going to be able to do these DI fry kits. Um, (laughs) We're just kind of... (laughs) Great name. (laughs) It's it's a good one. We're hoping to have them launched in the next kind of week or so, which is going to be cool. So we're hoping to kind of take some of the fear that I think exists around frying chicken at home away from people by kind of making it a little bit easier and, and giving you everything you need to do it.
0: Yeah. Great. I love it. I can't wait. So you're going to still go forward even though lockdown's sort of lifting.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think realistically people have kind of changed the way that they consume, I would say. And I think more people are up for cooking stuff at home and it's kind of something to do with other people. And even if lockdown's lifted, I mean, I don't think you're going to see restaurants at capacity anytime soon.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, good. I'm really excited for that. Let's let's take a step back. So you are from New Orleans I and am. Ross is English. Yes, he's English. How, how'd you guys meet? <laughs> it's a question we still can't really answer.
1: Uh, we both used to, to work in music. And... We're pretty sure we met like at a gig and we had like some mutual friends. And then I used to run a kind of small digital music company and Ross worked with us on that for a bit. And it kind of turned into a, a digital music agency. This was all in London. This was all in London. Yeah. 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 I've been here for ages. I went to university in Scotland, so I've been here for like nearly 20 years.
0: <laughs> and how did you get on to chicken? I mean, from music to chicken. It
1: was a, it was a joke. Like we, I was trying to find really good fried chicken in London and this was like ages ago. This was probably seven or eight years ago and it kind of didn't exist. It was like you had KFC, you had like local chicken shops and that was kind of it. And to me, it seemed insane that there wasn't kind of a, like, like a better fried chicken option. So I was like, I guess I'll just have to make this myself then and spent some months working on fried chicken recipe, um, which Ross very kindly was able to taste test through the whole process since he, <laughs> he lived pretty nearby. And I kind of, as I was getting to the end, and I was like, right, this, this three-day long, like brined, double-fried, multi-step process, like it's complete. And Ross was like, great, well, maybe we should just like sell the chicken. And I was like, no, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely not (laughs) like (laughs) you are a drummer and I make stuff on the internet and neither of us know how to do this and then he kind of came back with a with a full branding pack and was like yeah but what if
0: we call it mother clucker and I was like fuck's sake now we have to do it (laughs) but how did you even know how to make really delicious fried chicken
1: um I mean I just it's a lot of like trial and error I think. I kind of knew what I wanted it to taste like, so it was just a question of how I could get it there. Yeah, it was more kind of looking at like how kind of high-end restaurants were doing fried chicken and then thinking like well, what can we take from that to to use and what kind of spins can we put on it? And like, you know, everyone talks about just brining chicken, but what, you know, why just use salty water? Um why not make it taste like something? Why not when you're when you're kind of bringing all of this into the chicken. If it's going to sit in something, it might as well, you know, get some flavor out of it too. And then just kind of messing around with the rest of it until until we got something we liked, Um, which is not a, a, the full recipe we can't really use anymore because it is like completely ridiculous. Um, <laughs> we'd have to charge like 40 pounds for a box of chicken strips. So we, right, right. things have been edited over time.
0: Yeah, so he he went away and did this branding pack. Did he just do it himself? Did he have a friend that was advising him?
1: No, we um, we had some friends that we were sharing an office with, and they kind of did a bunch of branding. And he was like, got some sneaky things done. Then we were just like, great. I guess we do fried chicken
0: now. What 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 do we what do we do? How did he come up with a name? Because that's such a that's such he a loves good name. A
1: pun. So right, that's, that's where we ended up. But it is like it's a great name. And uh, people remember it, which is always helpful. It's kind of like just the right side of kind of a cheeky, I would say. It's the kind of thing that like if you said it in front of like your grandparents, you wouldn't be afraid to say it. But if you say it to a little kid, they'll start laughing.
0: <laughs> right, right. So you at this stage, you haven't really put any money into it because he went to some friends and worked on the branding. Yeah. You You were doing like the recipe and cooking yourself. What happened next? So at what point were you like, okay, we're going to sell this. And now what do we need to do to actually do that?
1: Uh, We we kind of like made this little PDF because I was like, well, I guess if we're going to do this, we should try and do it. And the first thing we did was like we did a party at our office, which we shared with like a PR company. It was like a Halloween party. And we were like, well, we'll cook some chicken. We like spray painted mother Cooker on a piece of plywood, stuck it like behind a picnic table. And like we bought a couple of like fryers from Nisbet and like stuck them <laughs> on the thing. We were like, guess we'll fry some chicken and see what happens. And there was a bunch of journalists there. And a couple of people were like, "Um, so we'll just we'll just write this up and we'll put it. And I'm like, no, 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 you can't put this anywhere. Like, this isn't a thing. And then people did. And people were like, so where can we buy your fried chicken? We were like, I don't know. So we made a little PDF to be like, you know, what do we need? if we were going to pitch this to someone to give us some money to do something like, what would we put in it? And that's how we kind of settled on doing a food truck um uh, first, seeing how viable that was.
0: Is so that because was- it's like less risky than versus yeah, like a market I mean, stall or a store? Like
1: a comm- Yeah. Like, I mean,
0: yeah. we can talk about commercial rents later, but um,
1: yeah. I, I had a, a friend of mine was like, are you raising any money for anything? And I was like, well, I've just closed around for this tech company that I'm working on. But like, here's a PDF on my phone of this other thing. And he was like, okay, cool. How much money do you want? And I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> so, wow. That's really lucky. <laughs> yeah, So um, we, we kind of ended up in a situation where we didn't have to go through the sort of the bigger process of a fundraise, but we, we didn't raise a lot of money at all. It was, it was very little money. It was just enough to basically buy this old U S army ambulance from a man called John in Yorkshire. And then have it kitted out and turned into a food truck.
0: That's okay, wait, racer. pause, pause. How did you come up with getting a, an ex-U.S. <laughs> military ambulance? And Whoa. why? How did John have it? in <laughs> well, some excellent questions. So
1: we were like trying to think of what would be like a cool vehicle. So we were like, let's look at like military vehicles because like they're kind of ridiculous. They're also big and they're standardized. So we were perusing milweb.net the top place for buying used military vehicles. And on it was like this old, this guy was selling this old US Army ambulance for like, I think he was selling it for like eight grand because his wife wanted to get a new conservatory. So he had to part with his, uh, his unused (laughs) old US military ambulance. Um, So we like went up there and we were like, okay, (laughs) cool. And there's this like probably 80, 85 year old man with this huge, thing like the thing is huge it's massive that he'd been used as a like a camper van for a while and it had like a bed in it and like all the stuff and we were just like this is completely ridiculous what are we doing and then we took it for a test drive and it like ran out of petrol on the test drive it was I mean the whole thing was ludicrous but we ended up buying it from them for less than asking um and then drove it down like in a snowstorm in January in 2013 um how,
0: how much did it cost to like re-kit it out
1: a lot I mean if we were to do it now we probably would spend half as much if not less than we did but we right. had never done it before so sure, sure so we had a very a very bougie interior truck done with Mexican tiles and the rest of it but I think I think it was like 10 grand in the end to do it up it might have even been a little more that includes all the equipment and stuff as well though fryers and fridges and all that stuff um, but yeah, it kind of, it took ages as well. So like, it took us like probably four or five months to get it finished. Cause you have to, there's only like two companies in the UK that redo vehicles for, turn them into street food vans. So you have to kind of get in a queue behind everyone else. But yeah, in the interim of that, we did a, the first thing we did was a pop-up in Soho, which was like organized by a pal who was like, you need to go meet these guys, do you know the pub the endurance and I was like yeah like who doesn't know the pub the endurance it has the best jukebox in Soho and then (laughs) we all we went there and like met the guys who owned it and they were like so like what have you done before and Ross and I were like some stuff (laughs) some food and some places here's an idea of a menu and they were like okay great do you want to start like in a few weeks and then suddenly we were like great we're doing a pop up in soho we have no idea what's going on <laughs> we oh my know god what we're doing we've <sighs> never we've never cooked in a commercial kitchen and now we have to do that
0: <laughs> what are we going to Do you have any help? Yeah, did were the we people did. who yeah.
1: We had um we got someone in to help us as a chef and then he brought someone else in. The first chef we had we don't don't really work with him anymore and then the guy who he brought in is now our head chef. Uh, and the head of kind of product for us. he's a guy called Al, and he was watching what Ross and I were doing. And he was like, what are you doing? (laughs) This is insane. There's definitely easier ways to do this. I mean, like, it was pretty nuts. Like, it was kind of constantly busy because it was sort of, I would say, like kind of the beginning of like when people were serious about doing pop-ups and stuff. And like, I think it was Joe from Patty and Bun who'd been in there before us. And so like everyone was like, oh yeah, like there's loads of, you know, you guys are coming in after Joe. What are you going to do? And we were like, we don't know. (laughs) Fry chicken. Um, You know, and Ross was there like constantly.
0: Um, He said in an interview uh, with Virgin startups that he found himself (laughs) butchering whole chickens at like two in the morning.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Watching videos of Gordon Ramsay doing it on YouTube. Right. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I mean like, I don't, I think sometimes people think that we, Try and say this sort of stuff like for effect, like, oh, you know, we didn't really know what we were doing, but like, no, we actually didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> oh my
0: God. Did you just put together a, a menu that you thought would taste nice? Yeah. And then you thought, well, just get a chef in to help us and yeah. we'll work it out and it'll be fine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and your, your friend funded it, the one you you basically well, sold yeah, it to he him just on an
1: basically, Yeah. And he was <laughs> like, cool. Because, um, you know, there's like, there's all these like kind of great incentives for people to put money into new businesses. So, for him, he was like, you know, that's a great idea. And he was also like, we know each other. We're friends. I know you can cook good food. So like, let's see what you can do kind of a thing. Gosh, um,
0: that's amazing.
1: Yeah. Then it was us realizing we actually didn't have a clue how to do this at scale. Um, And then luckily Al came. <laughs> Al came to help save the day.
0: So the Soho, pop- I mean, your pop-up there, it went well overall. Yeah, it was good. We were We were busy.
1: We had a lot of good attention. People seemed to like the food. We learned a lot. Like, We didn't know anything about working with suppliers. I Googled, buy chicken for restaurant, London. find a supplier for chicken because like how are you supposed to know how to do that if you've never done it before it turns out that you end up buying the most expensive chicken that exists in the UK (laughs) uh which to be fair was great and it is great chicken but um it it definitely it hurt our GP I'll say that
0: yeah sure of course did you have to order all the food in or did the pub kind of help you with no I mean we did everything
1: they helped a bit but they weren't really like You know, there was no chef in there, right?
0: Is that how it works? Because, I I mean, I don't know how it works at all. Like, so does a pub go, okay, you want to do a pop-up here? We'll let you use our kitchen and we take a cut of of whatever you sell? Yeah. So it
1: depends. Like, I mean, like anything else, like there's a million ways that you can structure that deal. But generally it's exactly that. The pub is like, we have a kitchen, there's equipment in the kitchen, but we don't have a chef. Do you want to come in and cook the food? You obviously pay through their EPOS system. So, you know, they'll I, you come to an agreement, maybe they'll pay you every week and they'll take 10 percent of your takings and you only take the food up. So you don't take any money from the drinks.
0: Interesting. OK, so yeah. then, then you guys went on to do Dalston, which was less successful. Yeah. Oh, my God. that was such a <laughs> shit show.
1: Um, <laughs> it was just one of those things where like at the time it was kind of like, well, we're waiting for our truck to be finished. We should probably do something else while the truck's like nearly done. And we were like, well, that's fine. We'll just open something in Dalston. And it was tough, you know. It's hard because we're working out of a live music pub, bar. Not that many people want to sit in there to eat food. You kind of only can do evenings. There's no lunchtime trade. You know, in Soho, you've got everyone coming to eat during the day from offices. And, you know, there we found ourselves just at night, like kind of hoping to capitalize on people who might be coming to see a gig later and who might have had some drinks. So it was just a bit tough. But it worked you know, for what it needed to be. But it wasn't anywhere near as successful as Soho from a monetary point of view.
0: Yeah. We kind of heard from Crosstown yeah. that um, they they had a stall that was like on the way to the bathroom in Westfield. And oh it just God. did so terribly because it was like almost in the right place with the, the smidge worst. off. <laughs> yeah. So it does sound like... Not just location, as in Westfield or Dalston, but it's specifically exactly yeah, where it is. Yeah.
1: Totally, and I think it's one of those things that people don't consider. They're like, "Oh, but you you've got this thing, and it's open in shortage," and you're like, "Well, is it in shortage? <laughs> you know, it's it'll be successful if it's on like one of three streets and only on certain nights of the week. There's just not a lot of places that that actually will give you that kind of consistent level of sales. I don't think, and you have to be in the right spot there.
0: Yeah, for sure. so you I guess you might have lost a lot of money in that in that one
1: uh I mean yes I think we probably at the time it felt like a lot of money because you don't have any money right like all the money that we got we spent pretty much on the truck and on like doing other bits and pieces so any money we had made in Soho we lost by the time we were done in in Dalston. And we were still kind of finding our feet. We still didn't even really know how you're supposed to run the accounts for like this kind of a business. <laughs> like, you
0: know, you're still kind of like,
1: I don't know what any of these words mean.
0: Was it still you two running everything? You hadn't hired yeah. a financial oh, no. advisor or anything? No, no. <laughs>
1: okay. So it's, there's a lot
0: of learning on the job. That okay. <laughs> okay. So it is doable. It's doable to like not have to hire in.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say it's doable, probably not advisable. But I think like our biggest hindrance is always we didn't come from a food background. I think anyone who spent probably a year working in any capacity at a food company would have been far better prepared (laughs) than the two of us were probably could have skipped a lot of the issues that we had just by knowing what you're supposed to do
0: yeah so okay so you you had one successful pop-up then you had one not so successful one and then the truck was ready what happened next
1: that was great because we were like great we have this truck it looks like really cool so we did some festivals and those were did really well you know we did field day a couple of other festivals love box drove the truck around did loads of brand events which was great because obviously, like, you just kind of get paid some money and then you turn up somewhere and then you can leave again. Very straightforward.
0: Would and that then, have been like the likes of Adidas? I saw that you guys. Yeah, did yeah, yeah. We did some them. stuff with Adidas, we, with Tom. Yeah. How do you even get get in with those guys?
1: Uh, I think it was probably through the PR company that we shared an office with, who is actually our PR company. Still, it helps that it's Ross's wife's PR company. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> no. There you um, go. It helps. Um, But, you know, so we or people have seen us at other events. You know, you'll kind of people see you at an event somewhere. And if there's other people who work in PR or marketing or events, they'll be like, does anyone have a card? And we just kept cards that had our email addresses on it. You get an email being like, oh, I was at this Adidas event in Battersea Power Station. I really love the food you guys do. Can you tell us how much it will cost to come do this event for Tom's in Hoxton Square? That was a big push for us just because it was it was a good way for us to kind of get a little bit better at using the equipment we had in the truck before we kind of opened up fully to punters just regular customers but then the, the truck broke down sadly
0: oh it didn't last <laughs> it did. very long
1: no it broke it broke down but luckily it broke down um very near to the Truman brewery. So we kind of just dragged it into the parking lot and we're like, so it doesn't really drive anymore, but we could just leave it here. Uh, And luckily they had seen it around and been like, you can just leave it here and serve food of it.
0: That's so good. But
1: we did move it. So we moved it permanently from the Truman Brewery earlier this year, or at the end of last year, rather, to live at Backyard Cinema in Wandsworth.
0: Oh, cool. So for the other street markets, so you're, you're, you've you're you been at Curb and Street Feast Everywhere. and Flatiron Square. Are these just standard market stalls that you just put sure. your sign on?
1: We used to do just street food. So that was obviously our, our kind of push. So once we had the truck and it was parked in the Truman Brewery, we were like, the truck doesn't drive. So we can't drive it to Street Feast. We can't drive it to Curb. What are we going to do? <laughs> And we kind of moved into more traditional market stall setups. So, you know, a gazebo, tables, you have a van, you put all these LPG, you know, like red gas tank fryers into a van, along with cool boxes and fridges, and you drive them to your destination. They get pulled, all pulled out, set up, do two hours of service, three hours of service, Pack them all back up again, drive them back to a warehouse. We went from just kind of doing some really small stuff to suddenly being like, "Well, now we need like an entire infrastructure right So like you know we had to hire a bunch of people we had we had two vans at one point we had a refrigerated van, a stock van, and an equipment van. so at one point, we had two vans, two full time drivers, two warehouses operations staff to manage all of that, events staff. It kind of ballooned <laughs> because that's what you need. You know, if you're doing three markets a week, you need people to manage all of that for you in addition to your more permanent market stall setups. So we kind of went from doing like pop-ups and then we had this kind of semi-permanent food truck set up to having all these little markets everywhere that we had to have people people working in. Did
0: you get an office or anything or were you just... We had did, you? you had-, had you? We did have
1: an office on Elder Street in Spitalfields, which has now been knocked down by British land, destroying the cool part of Spitalfields so that they can build more gross glass boxes. (laughs) But we were in a, like a shared office space, basically, which was pretty good. Uh, It was really good, actually. It was kind of what we needed at the time, which was basically, it was extremely cheap. All we needed was a good internet connection and somewhere where we could store some stuff and ourselves on occasion, but we didn't pay very much money for it at all. And then we got, we got rid of that when we kind of moved into the warehouses and then we're doing all the street food stuff. So much street food. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so I guess so once you chicken. hired all, so much <laughs> chicken, you've hired a bunch of people, so you didn't have to be no. cooking yourself all the time. No,
1: I think Ross and I kind of stopped cooking pretty, as soon as either of us could really, he was more sort of in, in the truck than I was. And I was doing more of the kind of back office stuff.
0: Was um, this your full time job, or were you still doing? I still a had another five? job.
1: I still had. I was running another company.
0: Uh, it was a music tech
1: company. I guess I ran that from twenty thirteen to twenty sixteen. When that company folded, we moved. I was doing kind of less of a nine to five, but something that that I had to do some work on on kind of a consultancy business while I was doing this before I moved fully full time into Mother Clucker.
0: Because it was, you, it wasn't quite there yet for that 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 to be your full time job.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's kind of one of those things where like, it's hard to strike that balance. And I think a lot of people say things like, "Well, you just have to, you have to jump in full time straight away, and you have to do this right now, and otherwise you're not committed," and blah blah blah. And like, I just think that's bullshit. Telling people that you have to be a hundred percent committed to the thing you're doing when you can't hundred percent support yourself is like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think for most people. Unless you have two years worth of savings sat in the bank for you to pay your mortgage or your rent, it's not tenable. So a lot of people need to find that transition period. It was just fortunate that the you know I was doing kind of website development consultancy and working with two other guys who were doing the building of the websites, and I was my job was just to basically manage the clients and get them in. It made it possible for me to do both at once.
0: Right, right. So then in 2018, you guys actually opened uh, bricks and mortar we on Exmouth Market. <laughs> yes. Talk to us about that.
1: Um, Well, we had been looking for ages. We'd had so many sites kind of fall through. And in that time period that we were going from kind of moving into a more permanent setup for the company out of just street food, commercial leases got just like untenable. You would go to look at a site somewhere in Shoreditch and it was like, okay, great. Um, We're actually, you know, it's a 1,000 square foot site. You know, the premiums, 200,000 pounds and the rent is a hundred grand a year. And You're like, what? <laughs> like, are you, is it a fucking joke? You are aware that this is like, this is the size of a garage and it's a mess. What am I paying a premium for? And people were paying that and that was a problem. And it just got to the point where it was mental. And so we kind of kept trying to get these deals started and then someone else would actually pay these huge premiums. And it was so difficult. And eventually we found the site on Rosebury Avenue that it was just a lot more reasonably priced than everything else. And the kind of ongoing costs were pretty low. And we realized we could probably swing away to get into it, which would mean that, you know, we could kind of actually have something that felt a little bit more permanent. Because the biggest problem you have when you're working in street food or semi-permanent kiosks or stalls and stuff is you have no security. So you can't borrow any money. You go to the bank and you're like, hey, guys, how you doing? Like, we've never had any problems with cash flow with you before. Like, we don't even have an arranged overdraft. We're looking to borrow 200 grand to open a restaurant, etc. Like, here's the plans. Here's everything, whatever. And they'd be like, OK, great. Like, we just need some covenants from what you have now to lend against. Well, you don't have any. You have a what, a license to trade from someone. That's it. <laughs> you don't. You have no security in your current business. And without that security and without being able to to have any collateral really against anything, nobody's going to lend you any money. And you end up in this situation where you're kind of like, well, you can't grow as a business because you can't get anything. So we knew we needed to find a bricks and mortar premises and nothing else just to kind of improve the company credit rating um, and make it. Make it easier for us in the future to be able to actually grow the business.
0: Um, right, right. So, but when you did eventually get it, was this? Did you go back to your friend, or did you? How did you get the funding to open the permanent? Yeah, store? we did
1: actually. Um, yeah, he, he gave us. He invested again and gave us a loan, so that allowed us to to get the the first kind of brick and mortar premises open and just try and at least get trading out of that and give us a chance to kind of reassess what we were doing as well. And it turns out that I think we worked out that the total amount of money we spent each year on infrastructure for running a market stall and street food business was like 125,000 pounds a year, which when we worked out the infrastructure cost versus the profit on what we were actually doing with street food, we were like, this is probably not ideal for us.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's um, crazy because I would have thought it was more financially viable to do it that way rather than, The problem
1: is, well, there was a couple of problems. We were running everything ourselves. So we had our own prep kitchen and that meant like we were doing, we were just getting everything in. We were prepping everything ourselves, packing everything ourselves, transporting everything ourselves. Like It was like a full vertical market, which we just didn't really need to be doing and we didn't. But we didn't know that, you know, like we'd spoken to people in the past about doing some of the prep for us and using other people's prep kitchens and all the rest of it. And it had never really seemed like it made sense financially. Um, and we kind of realized that, like, you know, the profit margins on all of the street food probably weren't worth one, the cost and to the the kind of hassle it was for us as a business. Um And we started to look at how we could kind of downsize that part of the company and focus either on brick and mortar sites or our more permanent kiosk ish locations, anything that didn't have to move basically. Mm -hmm. So if we didn't have to pick a fryer up, drop it somewhere, pick it up, bring it home again, then that's kind of the direction we wanted to take the business in. Um, And I think for us, Getting that first brick and mortar location made it a lot easier to kind of reevaluate what we were doing everywhere else. When it's much easier to turn up somewhere, unlock a door, turn an alarm off, turn the lights on, and you're like, it's much
0: easier. <laughs> like, oh. this is way less work. So that yeah. so it's it's going well.
1: So yeah, so for us, we've kind of, you know, we kind of sunset the street food side of the, the traditional street food side of the business. Which has kind of meant that we keep our units in in other locations, you know. So, like in Flatiron Square, that's a permanent kiosk location. So we're happy happy to have that open. It's a great site. It's a great place to serve food. You know, it's a successful site for us. We've still got a unit at the Truman Brewery. It's just not the truck anymore. Now it's a container again because it's you know it's not it's not mobile. Somebody just comes in, cooks some food. We're good to go. Have a site in White City, which is another another brick and mortar site. And again, you know, I think we had to make that transition on street food because I just don't think it's possible to, to do both businesses. And street food is a lifestyle business. If it was just Ross and I, and we were setting up a market stall two days a week, it would be fine because it was just us setting up a market stall a few days a week. But it gets a lot harder when, you're, when it's not you doing it and you've got to look at what we need to do five a week. And we have this many people to support around it. You need all these other people in the middle. I think it's just harder to scale
0: yeah yeah who do you see as your biggest competitor in that case like moving from like street food to more permanent does it make a difference or is it the same guys
1: I think there's a lot obviously there's a lot of people that that made the move from street food into into more permanent locations like you know you've got pizza pilgrims Bleecker burger breados I mean, yeah, like, yeah patty loads and bun yeah lots of them yeah I mean I think it's like that's For me, it's kind of like all these people are, of course, competitors for us in terms of share of wallet, right? If you put us all in one giant X street food food court, it's about share of wallet. And anyone who that average transaction value is like 12 pound 50 is a competitor for us. But I think it's, I've always just thought it's like really nice to see all these companies that are kind of growing consistently and they are just based out of some people who did something that was probably fairly reckless and dumb at some point in their lives in the like around 2010 to 2013 and some of them are building up huge huge businesses and employing thousands of people
0: and I think that's that to me is just it's a really nice thing to see. Um, I saw that you guys opened in Stansted Airport um, <laughs> in the Camden Bar and Kitchen we what did. was that like what a good idea.
1: Um, That's that was kind of a uh, an interesting move for us you know I think we have to think about what we want to see how we want to see the business grow um and how best to do that and for us a part of that was was kind of looking at transport food and transport hubs so we we kind of worked with the company that manages a lot of the food stuff in Stansted and we were talking to them about some other things and they were like do you want to come and do the food in here and we had this agreement and, and eventually we we managed to to stay there for I think about six months longer than we were supposed to (laughs) um but but it's kind of it's kind of wild because you kind of get it's the sort of thing where people send you pictures and they're like I think I'm eating mother clucker at the airport I'm like (laughs) (laughs) you're welcome
0: (laughs) yeah I um yeah flew through there last year when we could fly and um (laughs) I would have I would have really welcomed some mother clucker at that in that moment fair enough um we had a question come in actually uh has anyone set a record for most strips eaten in one sitting
1: oh good question that I don't actually know the answer to I don't know if anyone has but we would be very open
0: to someone doing that letting us know and filming it (laughs) (laughs) great and hopefully they're listening yeah I like to finish all my interviews with asking when you're not eating fried chicken, what do you enjoy eating and where do you enjoy drinking in London? Oh,
1: well, um, I enjoy eating at Bar Termini. I mean, drinking at Bar Termini because I do like a delicious Negroni and I also like a delicious martini, both of which they do excellently. And if I'm not eating fried chicken, uh, I am eating ramen because ramen is my favorite. And I am not particular about my ramen choice, but I would say like any of the major ramen spots in London, like Shoryu is obviously phenomenal. Tonkatsu does have a fantastic tonkatsu. And like Kannada Ya as well, maybe a little bit lesser known. I could talk for 45 minutes about ramen, so I'll spare you.
0: <laughs> That's great. I'm so much looking forward to the DIY kits. We'll, we'll um, let you know. <laughs> yes, please do. Thank you so much for Thank joining you. us. All right, so you can get your fill of Mother Clucker fried chicken in some of the delivery editions dotted around London. Also, be on the lookout for the DI Fry Kits. They're coming out soon. It should be in about a week's time from now. And remember, if you are enjoying the show, please do subscribe. Leave us a review. Share it with your friends. We'd be so grateful for that. We are climbing up the charts. We are number 30 on the Apple Food Podcast charts. Woohoo! Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week.